0: Welcome to Image Talks Fertility, an image-first podcast where we deep dive into all things fertility, brought to you in partnership with Waterstone Clinic. This episode, we're going to be talking about IVF. I'll be joined by Dean, who is mum to beautiful Sage and Sienna, and later we'll be joined by Dr. Ethan Lowe, who leads the team at the Dublin Waterstone Clinic. Family-owned and operated, Waterstone Clinic is a leader in fertility excellence with two decades of reproductive medicine experience. Waterstone Clinic has built a family of five clinics in Dublin, Cork, Kildare, Limerick and Waterford. The clinic uses pioneering fertility science, making even the most advanced fertility services available to patients in Ireland. And they're renowned for their exceptional patient care. Fertility is one of those words that encompasses so much, from IVF, egg freezing and surrogacy to endometriosis, polycystic ovary syndrome and reduced ovarian reserves. It's medical, it's scientific, but it's also deeply emotional and an often private topic that can be mirrored in mystery and sometimes misunderstood entirely. It contains the highest miracle highs and the lowest heartbreaking lows. It is quite literally what makes us human. My name is Dominique McMullen, and I'm Image Media's Editorial Director, and mum to Kai, who is two and a half, and Freddie, who is five months old. In this mini-series, in partnership with Waterstone Clinic, I'll be talking to women whose fertility journeys offer hope and mirror the paths that so many of you are walking. In conjunction, I'll be putting your fertility questions to the experts and hoping to help guide you and provide advice for you and your family in what can be the most challenging times around one in six couples trying for a baby will have difficulty getting pregnant up to half of them will need IVF treatment that is no easy route to take IVF is expensive emotionally physically and in Ireland especially financially Ireland is the only state in the EU not to offer publicly funded IVF treatment despite various promises that have already been made But despite all the difficulties, IVF still offers the chance of that miracle baby to so many Irish people every year. Today I'm chatting to Dee Buckley. Dee is mum to two beautiful girls, Sage and Sienna. Sage is two and a half and Sienna is three and a half months and both were conceived through IVF. So Dee, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thank you so much for having me.
0: I know. And you're a busy, busy woman. So thank you for being here with your running your own business and two smallies. Uh,
1: know. No, I know. Um, do you know, honestly, I'm just anything that I can do to highlight this topic. I am more than happy to do because um, it's it's a topic that's very close to my heart, obviously.
0: Mine, too um so tell me about tell me first of all about stage agency Sienna. you've got a little beautiful baby in your arms as we were recording this I
1: do <laughs> I'm definitely to get her to sleep <laughs> oh, listen,
0: I know I, I, Freddie is two months ahead of you so are you getting a, a good night's sleep at all yet um
1: no it would uh god it could be anything from feeding every hour to every three hours at the moment um mm-hmm but uh do you know something it's I know from the first it's such it's so short like it, it flies by and you know I remember we moved sage I mean I have. a both of them in the bed with me because I breastfeed, um, and uh, I we moved Sage into her own cot in her own room when she was about eight months old, and I was so lonely uh, after, and I was just desperate for the the cuddles back, you know. So um, I I kind of now I'm I'm just savoring every second with Sienna because uh, I know it's so short lived, you know. know. It
0: does, Those those nights are a little easier with the second one was you do you do know there is an end point
1: yeah you do want those couples back it's
0: funny
1: and everything is a phase you know like what what's an issue one week it'll be gone next week and it'll be a new issue you know so um yeah you just have to kind of remember that when you're going through it
0: doesn't make it any harder or any easier um so tell me did you always want
1: kids how did you feel about Um, did. yeah i i did oh i always knew i wanted one or two um and I think like everybody I just assumed that you know I would you know grow up meet somebody fall in love get married and have kids and sorry I just shouldn't say like everybody like a lot of people um and but I assumed that it would it would just happen like no issues you know um and yeah so I met my husband when I was traveling and we spent two years living in Australia together and And we came home and at the time it was kind of um, it was in the middle of the recession uh, here back in 2011. And. I was a bit lost I was how old was I 30 and he was 32 and I guess we both were you know we'd spent years traveling and we didn't really fully we weren't settled in careers and it was something that we both wanted to kind of you know do and wanted to focus on um getting some sort of career for ourselves um and I always wanted to have my own business and so um we we got married and you know we didn't we both chatted about having children and you know said oh you know it's not really the right time and uh you know always said we definitely want to do it in a couple of years but not ready yet kind of mm. um, so then when we did a few years passed and we said well oh, you know we were both approaching 40s um and we thought god we better like i mean i guess for me i just I I thought you know at the back of my head if there ever was an issue it'd be me because of you know obviously women as they get older and approach 40 it can become harder and um so I had gone and chatted with um one of the well women clinics and um you know I think I was 36 at the time and you know the the doctor was so lovely and I think I was probably like you know probably went in you know kind of a little bit worried and saying you know is it is it am I leaving it too late and she was lovely and she was like look you know they said you know obviously as you get past 35 your chances you know your egg quality decreases but she said you're only 36 so it's not such a you know a big deal so we waited then another year and we said okay we'll start trying and um I think three or four months passed and nothing happened and I just got a bit I don't know why something in my head and again maybe I just assumed that it would happen straight away um but I just thought god maybe we should just get checked just to rule anything out so we're not wasting time here uh, so we did we went back to the clinic got checked both of us and um so everything came back pretty much normal for me and but well, when my husband's results came back it turned out he had um, he had low sperm count uh, motility and uh, morphology so um, at the time we were kind of a bit in shock because again I always assumed if there had been an issue it would be kind of more on my side and um, so we went down a couple of kind of alternative routes of trying IVF and um, you know, my husband Dara. He he's really healthy. Like he, you know, he's he's always eating really healthy. He, he doesn't smoke. He trains. He you know does lots of yoga. So it was kind of, um, you know, in terms of a, a lifestyle change. There he was kind of doing all the right things already. Um, but he started maybe looking into uh, kind of his diet and you know what can really increase. Um, uh, you know, the sperm quality for men um, and Shane tweaked things here and there and he went on a couple of supplements and uh, I think we waited about three months of that and, or uh, for that, and um, got rejected. Age,
0: what age was he then, just out of interest?
1: He was 38 at that okay. point. Um,
0: and is male fertility affected with age in a similar way to, this is a silly question, but I've never thought about before whether I, men are actually, affected with age like women are.
1: Yeah, I actually don't know, I I'm, and I should know the answer to that, but um, I know in Dara's case, he his issue, as it turned out, we didn't know this at the time, but um, we subsequently went to see um, a specialist over in the UK, and it so basically Dara had had um, an operation when he was a child for an undetend, uh, undescended testicle. Which um, is quite and, common yeah it is um and uh, like i don't know if this is just a recent thing that they found out but it, it can um later in life lead to problems with fertility for men um now um, i don't know if they knew that back I mean that would have been the 80s when he had that done so I don't know if they knew that back then or Mm. it's something that has come to light you know in more recent years but um, we were told had we started trying earlier that you know it might not have been such an issue so I know that that you know in that case it, it was affected by age or it can be affected by age so if he had maybe started trying to have kids in his late twenties that is you know everything might have been his count and his morphology and mortality, motility motility um, and might have been higher you know at that point and um, so I think you know when we found out we we were hmm. both kind of uh, I guess um, I not that it's anyone's fault or you know but it was one of those things that we just wish we knew beforehand, because obviously we wouldn't have left it so so long then, you know, um, or he could have frozen, you know, if we did want to leave it a little bit longer, we, he could have frozen his sperm, you know, at that point and it, you know, it might have um, increased our chances even more, you know.
0: And, and it, it was a quite, I mean, you must have gotten quite a shock that it was, uh, and again, like, obviously nobody is at fault here, that it was a male fertility problem rather than a female fertility problem i i it's so funny how you automatically always presume that it's um, a woman issue
1: yeah um i mean i did and i didn't as in um I think it was quite aware that, you know, there could be issues on either side, but I think, you know, (laughs) like women's default sometimes is often just to kind of like blame themselves for things, you know? So, um, I think that's why I always assumed, you know, if there was an issue it it could possibly be me like it really didn't enter my head because he he, you know he's healthy and he leads a healthy lifestyle he's not overweight he you know doesn't drink a lot doesn't smoke you know that he's doing all the right things I just kind of assumed that you know like if there was an issue it could be on my side um and and mainly you know really to do with you know the fact that I was approaching 40 um Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things I I mean, with male factor infertility, it's something that I think is really not talked about a huge amount. And I think oh. it's, um, you know, and again, this goes back to I think women are great talking about, you know, all these these things, you know, with each other, but men just aren't, you know, and mm. um you know it's funny because I obviously before I came on this um, I asked him are you okay with me talking about this you know because it it is one of those topics I think for men um, you know they can they can it can be a little bit embarrassing I don't know why but you know uh, it's what his answer anyway was like absolutely because he really wants to you know highlight it for other men out there so that they can you know if they, regardless of whether they've, you know, had an operation for, you know, anything in relation to undescended testicles or uh, anything else, just to get checked, you know? Because I think it's something that we all should really be doing. Like we should all, re- because life is different now and because, yeah. um, you know, women are, you know, they want careers and, you know, everything in life is happening a little bit later, I feel.
0: Did you know? I mean, only read this this morning that the only group of women or the only group of people who are growing in terms of pregnancy rates are women in their 40s. So oh, it, it, it is absolutely, you know, factual that we are all getting older. Um, yeah. And I think for everybody, for men and women alike, you know, it's great that we're able to do that and we're able to facilitate. Um... <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> that We're able to facilitate that. But I think the, the main thing is just to check just to get checked to 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 be informed you know
1: absolutely more options then you know
0: exactly exactly and that's that's what you need is just to know what your options are um so you decided then after darry giving it a go of kind of a healthy lifestyle that actually you were just going to go down an IVF route is that is that right
1: yeah, well, what happened was after after he he gave it a go and we went back and got he, he got checked again and nothing had changed. So at that point, we had been recommended um a doctor over in the UK who dealt with this with, you know, he's a specialist in male um, factor infertility. So we went over there and had a talk to him and and. Um, we basically he sat us down uh, I remember because it was just after Christmas and um it was days between Christmas and a year and we went to London for a couple of nights and he sat us down anyway on the day and said this is not going to happen naturally and he was really really blunt um mm. and he said, uh th- but he said he he said look it's not going to happen naturally but you stand a very good chance with IVF so it kind of floored both of us because he was so mm. blunt and um but in a weird way I was so happy in a way that I knew then you know it had been just that was it it had been you know said to me I knew what step we needed to take next you know Mm -hmm. and so we came back straight away and just booked uh, into the clinic and um, the problem with you know I think because because so many people are suffering you know with fertility issues that the clinics are so full you know and I think part of the hardest part then for me was all the waiting for appointments and waiting for test results and you know at that point when I knew the next step and I knew we had to do IVF I just wanted to do it um, and I think you know from talking to other people who have had um journeys with IVF it's you know similar it's just all the the waiting for appointments and trying to you know get doctors and that type of thing is really mm-hmm. hard but um we booked in anyway and just and and started the journey and really never looked back i like honestly i can't say enough about um just just the the experience and you know the whole thing was very positive for me in terms of and i know it's not like that for everybody but just um in terms of the journey I've had, you know, the doctors were great, the nurses were great, um, and uh, you know, it was it was scary. It was I think the problem is that because not a lot of people talk about this issue, you don't really know anybody else who has been through it, or I didn't anyway at the time, and uh, you know, you're kind of going into it a little bit blind. You know, I hadn't, I have not got a clue about anything to do with. This world um, mm. and uh, i just i really wanted to kind of find somebody to talk to about it and could just get their experience because there's lots of stuff online and there's lots of youtube videos and but unfortunately they all tend to be from the states and um, mm. it's kind you know the the as far as i am i know the treatment over there is a little bit different and you know a lot of the YouTube videos say I watched, they didn't paint very good view of the, you know, IVF journeys and, you know, obviously injections and hormones. And um, so I, I really, really wanted to reach out and, and get, you know, talk to somebody in Ireland who has mm-hmm. done it, you know, and get their experience. um. But I only knew of one girl um who I did reach out to and she was she was so helpful and really, really great. But you know, I think um I was really just craving to uh, you know to find some sort of community that you know I could chat to and and talk to people and you know mm-hmm. just share, you know, stories and and yeah. share the highs and the lows, you know, with
2: um,
1: because yeah. it's
0: a huge it's a huge thing emotionally, physically, like it's a it's a big thing, and you want to know what's ahead of you, and you want to know, you know, what should I expect from this, you know, bit and the next bit, and what's yeah. good, what's bad. Also, the medical appointments—you know, if someone's sitting there in front of you talking medical jargon, it's hard to. Um, oh,
1: it's so hard, yeah.
0: Compute yeah. it all. You we just
1: have no idea what to expect, you know, and unfortunately, unfortunately, the stories that we hear the most about are um, a lot of the negative stories a lot of stories of um people doing multiple multiple rounds with no success and you know I don't get me wrong I know there are so many people out there in that um in that position you know um and but you know I I think it's important to highlight the successful stories as well you know where people have you know I like I found out um since going through IVF and I found out of a number of people I know who has um, you know have babies through IVF and two in particular that I spring to mind that have three children through IVF two separate people who have three children through IVF and um, I just never knew you know because they didn't you know it's not talked about because they just went and they did their journey, they had their experience, and yeah. have three beautiful children. And um, you know, like, but unfortunately, we tend to hear the ones that don't work out. You know, and um, yeah. I, I guess that you know, I, you know, I wanted to kind of say to people who are, you know, maybe heading into this journey for the first time that you know obviously be aware of you know it can be really really heartbreaking and but there are also really successful stories out there as well so you know
0: absolutely and uh, and uh, actually my sister is an IVF baby who's now 32 and she's one of the first in Ireland Ah. so it's a I think because I think people think about it as quite a recent thing as well IVF you know that there's success and there's adult children walking around you know there's grown-ups who work in in real jobs who are IVF babies we're
1: so lucky that we are living in these times yeah we Um, are so so tell me
0: so tell me sage um was born from did you you have got two embryos in the end
1: yeah, so we did our first round. We got six eggs, and four of them were, you know, viable for uh, we actually we did IVF with ICSI, which is slightly different. So, yeah.
0: talk to me about ICSI.
1: So, ICSI is so basically um I, you know, regular IVF is where a uh, You know, you take the egg and you take the sperm and you put them together in a little Petri dish and the um, sperm just make their way. You know, the the survival of the fittest, I guess, like the the fittest sperm makes its way into the egg. Um, So with ICSI, it's used uh, more so in male factor infertility. So what they'll do is they'll take the sperm sample, they'll put it under a microscope, see which one looks like the the highest quality and inject that directly into the egg. So, I mean, it's it's a relatively recent procedure. Now, I'm not sure when it, you know, was developed, but um, I know that um, I don't, you know, I think it's within the last kind of 15, 20 years. Um, So, uh, yeah, so we did... um, so that's that's the the road that we went down the IVF with ICSI so four of our six eggs were injected and when I went in for embryo transfer two of them on the day had survived so one um one was slightly higher quality and I don't really like to get I don't really like to talk about quality because it doesn't You know, it doesn't really matter. You know, I've spoken to people who've had low-grade embryos transferred, and they've been perfectly. They've they've yeah. resulted in perfect pregnancies and babies. So, um, but uh, Sage was was um, uh, she came from the first uh, eggs that we had transferred back in. Um, so we had you know first round worked straight away and you know could not believe it absolutely over the moon miracle. and I know not everybody is any anything as um, lucky as we are in terms of that But uh, I feel so so lucky and so grateful and mm. um, yeah
0: it was a, a miracle first time round is it's really quite something it's brilliant yeah. yeah wonderful and then you 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 kept the second embryo
1: so the second embryo was then transferred yeah so um and we so we had sage and uh we had her and then it was we we knew we always wanted to transfer the second embryo uh, but we wanted to wait till sage was at least i mean i just i wanted to wait at least a year just to try and you know (laughs) My body and everything back to normal, you know, just allow everything to heal properly. Yeah. Um, and uh, but then COVID happened. Unfortunately, the first lockdown happened, mm-hmm. and um. I knew from talking to a couple of people that all the clinics had shut down and you know we knew we wanted to transfer this embryo and I started going into panic mode then because I knew there was huge backlogs when the clinics opened up and it was impossible to get appointments and so as soon as the clinics opened back up I just rang and got an appointment straight away well sorry I put my name down for an appointment straight away but we didn't get one for months Um, and at that point they were all over the phone uh they weren't doing in-person consultations so Mm. um so we we booked in for as soon as we could then for the transfer of the second embryo um so sage was just over a year at that point she was a year and uh, two months i think um and we transferred the second embryo then um it was when was it september 2020 which uh, resulted in a positive pregnancy um but unfortunately yeah. it, it, I, I ended up miscarrying so it was a chemical pregnancy um but again you know i feel very lucky in some ways that you know that i did miscarry early with um when you know a chemical pregnancy is when you know it's before the the six-week heartbeat scan um, and uh yeah it was it was awful thing to go through but you know it was um you know just one of these unfortunate unfortunate things but it left us th- that was you know that that embryo was our last from that round so it left us kind of back in the situation of what are we going to do will we do another round mm. should we just um you know be really grateful for having such a successful you know journey at that point and um but and i did you know i went through i think after you have you know after you have a miscarriage you do you question everything you're like should i should i go again should i not you know yeah. um, do i want to go through all this again do i want to you know go through all the hormones and the um it feels very long as well when you know i personally felt that the whole ivs process felt very long from you know when you're when you first go and have your consultation and you know start injections and you know testing and the two-week wait is anybody who's done IVF it's just horrendous that two-week wait and um, it's the longest two weeks of your entire life and you're just can't come off the internet and google and you know googling symptoms and um so anyway um I went through kind of you know I kept changing my mind yes I do want to go again no I don't want to go again and uh but uh, ultimately I did you know I knew I knew I wanted another baby so um so yeah we went again then in January uh last year and um yeah again so lucky um we I think we had five embryo five sorry seven eggs um five of them could be injected and uh, we got two again out of this round so um and the first one they put back in resulted in a pregnancy so yeah we're, we're so so lucky unbelievably lucky
0: some journey and and i have to say i think um miscarriage miscarriage is bad enough but i think miscarriage when it's at the end of an IVF journey is especially painful and difficult. I really, I think it's a heavy load to carry. Um, So I'm so, so sorry for your loss. Oh, thank you. It's
1: uh, one of those things that, um, you know, it's the, you know, the shock and the pain of it initially is horrendous, but, um, you know, it's one of those things that I'll never, ever forget, Um, but it gets easier. You know, it definitely gets easier.
0: Absolutely. And, and then to go again and to have again on that round, your beautiful, gorgeous Sienna who's in your arms there is just a lovely way to... <laughs> you
1: hear her gurgling here in the background. <laughs>
0: yeah. She's gorgeous. She's got a lovely little bow in her hair. for, for She's beautiful. Dee she makes exceptionally beautiful babies, I have to say.
1: Oh. <laughs> well, there. I think so, but I think I'm a little bit biased as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you have one embryo as well. I still have an embryo left yeah so um yeah we don't know what now to do with that (laughs) because well at the moment um I I don't know because we I guess my age I'm going to be 41 a month and um I don't I don't think um I don't think I want to go again at at least for a while you know I I found my first pregnancy was great, um, loads of energy um and had a relatively, you know, good pregnancy. Um my second pregnancy I found very difficult. Um
0: too um, tired yeah. and, and just
1: yeah i had a thing called ohss um at the beginning uh, of it which was uh it's, it's common in ivf and um, it usually happens when you get it's to do with the overstimulating of the ovaries so it would usually happen in women who say have polycystic ovary syndrome where they do rounds of ivf and they produce multiple eggs um, and they usually would watch out for it in the clinics if somebody had polycystic ovary because it's it's quite common but um basically I didn't really fit the typical description for somebody uh, who to get it and um, I, I you know I didn't get a huge amount of eggs like some people do um but uh yeah it's basically you, you build up fluid all around your ovaries and it's very painful and you um, get very bloated, don't you? Yeah. And when you get if you get pregnant on the round of IVF, um, well, usually what would happen, you, they'd watch out for it. And if they knew you had it, they would not do a fresh transfer. They would freeze your embryos and wait a month until it was gone. Um but with me, they didn't realize I had it until after the embryo was transferred. And when you get pregnant with it, it makes it worse, the hormones make it worse. So, um, yeah, so it was just quite painful and I ended up in um, Hollow Street overnight with it. And um, like, yeah, it took, I mean, it was fine. It was you know, it, it wasn't it took a couple of weeks to go and it was fine but it was just kind of quite painful at the time and then um yeah I just did this pregnancy was just tougher definitely tougher and I don't know if it was my age or or what but just um yeah so and
0: running around after a toddler I think second pregnancies are just more difficult because you are older because you have you know potentially a, a, a small child to look after
1: and I felt very guilty as well because uh, you know I just I I was in bad form. When, you know, it I don't know if it was the hormones, but and I felt I was so sick, and uh, I just really I felt like I wasn't giving the time I wanted to to sage you know and then I felt guilty and I was you know you have that mom guilt oh um, yeah I was
0: saying like, listen mom, mom, mom
1: guilt I know yeah. it's awful it is the worst feeling mom. and it's
0: perpetual there's always something to feel guilty about isn't there no
1: it's yeah. awful it's awful yeah. um but yeah so yeah I'm not sure we're, we're kind of just do no need to out. talk about it right now yeah
0: yeah, exactly. yeah that's a nice thing it's just there and it and you know for when you want to think about it it's there
1: yeah and at least you know at least it's you know whatever happens or however old I am if we transfer it it'll be an embryo from you know when I was 39 um, and yeah. so you know in terms of age you know it's, it'll be a younger embryo you know so um yeah
0: frozen in time um and tell me if looking back at your kind of journey and looking back at everything now is there anything that you would have done differently
1: yeah I definitely wouldn't have waited so long to um well sorry I wouldn't have waited so long initially to kind of maybe start having children I say that but then you know we weren't really in a position prior to when we started you know trying um you know we were we were both kind of you know building careers essentially and you know we had a business and you know um I think I probably would have gotten tested sooner just so I wouldn't know one way or the other um but I definitely wouldn't have wasted time going down the road of supplements and um and uh, uh acupuncture and um, just for us I felt like I put a lot of months into that and I Like, I just again wasted months, you know. I wasted time, um, because it was probably all in all about six months before we, or maybe a little bit longer from when we first found out that we had difficulties to actually starting IVF. It was probably more like nine months, realistically. Um, sorry, it was (laughs) sorry, it was probably actually even longer than that, you know. So, it's yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think in some circumstances, I'm not saying that it doesn't work, you know, supplements and it absolutely can, but just for us, um I I just felt I feel like I just wish we had gone down the IVF road straight yeah. away, you know. Yeah.
0: Unfortunately the reality is it is a, a ticking clock and the earlier yeah. you do it, the better. Um, and you were doing as well as Darry. You were doing supplements and acupuncture and all that. You were. I both... was doing
1: acupuncture, yeah. Um, I was just taking general fertility supplements. Um, yeah, yeah, but, but we you're were both... good
0: anyway as well.
1: And the thing is, we wait. You know, like all these things, it's so costly. You know, obviously you got the cost yeah. of IVF, but um, I was. I mean, now I swear by acupuncture. Don't get me wrong, and I I really think that um, it helped me to get pregnant. But, and I did it throughout uh, both. Um, both um IVF rounds I did it and I did it I continued it up until I was about seven or eight weeks pregnant Um, I did reflexology and I did um, acupuncture and I, I thought they were amazing at, help, at helping you know um, yeah. but I think we wasted a lot of money initially on trying all these different things when we had kind of been told you know I you know maybe you should go for IVF and yeah you know, I wish we'd, you know, just put that money into into the rounds of IVF, you know. Yeah. It's, so, it's so expensive.
0: It is so expensive. It is, yeah. I, I think for, for anybody really, um, you want to be making sure you're doing it in the most cost-effective manner. Yeah. And tell me, so um, you've talked a little bit about community in the IVF kind of community. Um, can you tell me about how much it kind of means to you and, and how important that community is
1: yeah, I mean I started so the day that um the day that I started my very first round I had been looking on um youtube for some videos just to because i was doing you know i was set to do my first injection that night and uh, everything i came across was you know it was all from the states and maybe a few from the uk but no one from ireland and i started looking on instagram and i to be honest i wasn't i never i didn't really use instagram like i was using it for my business but i didn't really use a personal one um but uh, and I could I just couldn't find any pages. I found any any Irish pages. Any, yeah, any Irish pages. So I just thought, you know, what I'm just going to start a page. And um, part of it was because I wanted to connect with people, and then part of it was that, I, that I, I just wanted a bit of a diary for myself. You know, whatever the outcome was going to be. Um, so I started a page and just started kind of reaching out to people, but like the amount of people who subsequently contacted me Irish people who had accounts that were under different names or you know they um they basically you know they were IVF accounts um and uh like there's a huge community out there of people going through this and you know it's only when you kind of start looking that you can you know I I found so many people connected with so many people and there's a few of them like one in particular is one of my really good friends now you know like i've i've built up lovely friendships through through reaching out you know and contacting people do you want to share your 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 page oh it's um ivf journey of a dublin yogi
0: on instagram
1: Uh, yeah Mm and so yeah i mean if anyone people contact me all the time even though to be honest it's turned into a bit of a a mom page now (laughs) Um, it's just pictures of the kids but um if anybody wants to reach out and you know just just really to have somebody just you know, to who's going through, who knows what it's like, you know, and who's going through what you're going through. But, you know, if if you look, there's a lot of people out there, um, you know, and I used the hashtag IVF Dublin or IVF Ireland, um, during my journey. So, you know, you know, if, even if if you're if you're just starting out on this journey, if you you know just go in and search those hashtags, um, yeah, you know, you'll hopefully be able to connect with some people, you know.
0: I know there's a lot of Facebook groups as well.
1: Um, there it is, yeah. It's
0: quite a good, quite a big Facebook community. I'm not, I don't really use Facebook that much, but for people who do, I think um, there's a lot of pages there where people share what they're going through and kind of chat and everything.
1: Yeah, there's groups that you can join.
0: What would you kind of say to someone who's listening now, who might be, you know, about to start out in that journey or thinking that they might have to go down that road? Maybe they're a bit apprehensive. Or what kind of message would you give to them?
1: I guess, um, and I say this to, you know, to people also when they contact me um, on Instagram, you know, cause a lot of people contact me and they're nervous, like you said, they're apprehensive, they yeah. don't know what to expect. Um, try and be excited, you know, this is like the next step in getting you closer to potential pregnancy. So, you know, I think I always like, I'm very much, you know, positive affirmation kind of person, you know, and I like to visualize you know what it is that I want and um I would say try as much as you can and I know it's really hard and I, I know at, at times it's really really hard but try to be as positive as you can be about it um and you know I, ha- I did have a really positive experience and I know not everybody's journey is like that um but you know I do think it can be, you know, it's not always a, a scary, yeah. lonely road, and reach out to people as much as you can. I was very open. Uh, about telling people as well um, and that was my way of processing it I, I think I I found that the more people I told and talked to about it the more it made it a little bit more normal in my head and that was my way of dealing with it um, and I know not everybody feels that way and uh, bless you bless you <laughs> and not everybody wants to share their journey and I 100% yeah. understand why you know um, and what I would say try even you know confide in one or two close people because it can be really really lonely if you don't um and uh yeah and just try not to be scared about it try and turn, turn it into a positive thing and try be excited about it as much as possible um, I I didn't. Another thing that I you know I was scared about was the the hormones, and I didn't know how they were going to affect me, and how the injections were going to affect me. And I I have to say I was really surprised. I was you know I couldn't say that I don't think they really affected me any in any way as much as I thought they might. Um, There's
0: a lot of negative associations with those hormones. I think people think they're just going to lose their minds. They're going to go absolutely.
1: Yeah. And I was on the pill years ago and it turned me into an absolutely crazy person. (laughs) I came (laughs) off it and never went back on it again. And I think that's what I had in my head. I thought that's what it would be like. I thought I would turn into an insane person. Whereas, um, Now, my husband might tell me differently, but (laughs) no, I I definitely, um, I didn't feel really any effects from, from them. And in terms of doing the injections as well, you know, it's, I'd say, don't be scared about it. You know, the first one is, definitely the worst because you have it built up in your head and then the mm-hmm. second one is a little bit easier and by by day three day four you're you've got it down like a pro you know it was you know you're just you're flying through them and um, and they give you a bit of focus I think as well for the you know the the time that you're doing them you know it's it's kind of something that every night it's one step closer to to yeah. get what you want you know so
0: we can do hard things I have my poster in my bedroom saying that you know women are capable of mm-hmm incredible things i think
1: incredible things and emotionally we're incredible you know and yeah. we're, you know yeah. women are so strong you know yeah. yeah
0: isn't that a nice note to leave it on i think that's a pretty it pretty nice <laughs> note to leave it on. and um, thank you so much to no, Dee and to sienna for
1: doing <laughs> yes. sorry about all the little gurgles here oh, and gurgles listen, in the background.
0: Are beautiful gurgles i'm i'm so just pleased to see such a beautiful little face there in the corner Um, and so thank you so much Dee thank you for joining me your story is you know inspirational and and while recognizing of course that everybody's journeys when it comes to fertility are so different and can be so difficult I think it's so important to share journeys like yours and your journey was not easy either may I say um but the resulting two gorgeous girls are testament to your hard work and dedication and the hope you have throughout the throughout the journey is really special so thank one you so thing, much
1: um, one thing i will say is just that you know it's worth it it's so worth it when you get to hold your little baby in your arms it it all fades into the background all that hard you know the the emotional turmoil that you go through it goes you know so um yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I really okay. appreciate it. So,
0: welcome. And next up, I'm going to be joined by Ethna, who is here to answer all of your IVF questions. IVF can be confusing. It's full of scientific terminology, percentage chances, and medical jargon. We want to help break all that down so we've taken your questions straight to the experts and today we're chatting to Dr Ethna Lowe and you lead the team at the Dublin Waterstone Clinic. Yeah yeah,
2: that's right it, it's a clinic that has just opened this year as a, um, a satellite clinic for the Cork which has been established for 20 years um, but we're now doing a collections and proceeding on with doing all the procedures here in Dublin as well as the larger facility in Cork.
0: Fabulous and we have a lot of questions um, in from readers for you, but I think most of them really can be summed up under kind of four headings cost, yeah. if it hurts, what the best age to do it is, and the necessary treatments, kind of add on treatments. Are they worth yeah. it? What applies to who? So yeah. if we start with cost, I think for every episode, It's always been what people want to know. I think people um, presume extremely high prices and and obviously IVF is expensive. But can we talk realistically what we're looking at?
2: Yes. So, I mean, at least 50 percent of women who come to see me will actually need IVF. So I agree that when you're picking a clinic, that's one of the things that you should look at before you decide. But also you should look at quality and how well established the lab is and what your success rates are likely to be, because it's all very well paying a cheap price for one cycle of IVF, but if it takes you three to get pregnant, you're not getting value for money. So if you look at our website, for example, a cycle of IVF costs 5,000 euros, that'll be kind of the ballpark figure that you'll see across a lot of the websites. But what you have to do is to read the small print. So for us, that fee includes... Um, Blastocyst transfer, if necessary, and embryoscope. Whereas in other clinics, they will add that as an extra fee on top of the price that you're seeing. So, like you say, it's a minefield. And so, it's really important that you kind of educate yourself a little bit before you um, look at the prices and, and pick a clinic purely on price. The other thing to be aware of is if you're a good prognosis patient and you're going to get lots of eggs, you're going to get lots of embryos, you may have an additional fee for freezing. We don't charge that up front because not everybody has embryos to freeze. But in general, we're only going to put one embryo back, two maximum. And if you have four, you will want to freeze the others to give yourself the best chance of success. So it's looking at the breakdown of the price and just being aware that it could be five thousand, but if there's freezing as well, it could go up to six six and a half thousand.
0: Okay, and that's depending on the treatments, the add-on treatments you might have, as well as embryo freezing, extra embryo freezing.
2: So it, it, you have to be aware of the what add-on means, you yeah. know, because if Depends you on look, what
0: you need as an
2: individual. Yeah, so yeah. you know you can look at the HFEA website. And they will call add-ons have a bad name and they have a bad name because they're scientific, um, scientifically unproven things that IVF clinics do, you know, at times. And so, you know, you will see that endometrial scratch is considered an add-on. Assisted hatching is considered an add-on. But a lot of these clinics also considered blastocyst transfer an add-on or embryoscope and add-on, but they become so much of our standard treatments that we don't consider the embryoscope and add-on. Um, really what it does is it helps us select the best embryos for transfer. So yeah. it increases your chance of getting pregnant per transfer.
0: Because our, our guest um, earlier in this episode was talking about embryoscope as well and, and using that. So that is something that is, that is included for you guys
2: so it's included in the cost with us because we just think it's such an important part of helping us select the embryo and getting the best embryos for our patients
0: and the other two um, treatments you referred to there sorry I I am I am learning as I go here. okay and the other two treatments you referred to there that weren't um that aren't necessarily included what what were those talk to me about so an
2: endometrial scratch is performing a little scratch of the endometrium so it's a bit like a mini DNC. It's done in the outpatients and it causes an injury to the endometrium. And about five years ago, there were a lot of papers suggesting that it would improve implantation and help women get pregnant. Yeah. But more recent data has shown that there's absolutely no evidence for it. Right. And so it, you know, it's very important not to continue to do something once the scientific evidence has disproven it as being a useful thing. Um, so, you know, we try and discourage our patients from having it. Of mm. course, people will ask for what they want, but we would try and discourage women from having things that don't have scientific, um, basis behind them.
0: Absolutely. And there was another treatment you referred to there. So but...
2: assisted hatching is where you make a little hole in the shell of the embryo mm. in theory to help it hatch and to help it implant into the endometrium. And the HFEA will say that there's no evidence whatsoever that that helps. And so it shouldn't be performed. But again, it's something that some clinics will do and will perform extra for. Um, we do it very rarely, but we do do it if the shell around the embryo looks exceptionally thick, because, you know, it, it's one of those things that if we think it will help, we will do it. Um,
0: so really the kind of the add-on treatments um, if they're applicable, your, your kind of medical provider will know about them and will, will talk you through them. But, yeah. you know, the basic package, for want of a better word, really should cover you for most things.
2: Yeah, I think women are so desperate to get pregnant. They do a lot of research themselves. Yeah. And they come in with a list of all these add-ons. So a lot of my consultations will involve a discussion around lots of add-ons and trying to persuade women that they won't make a massive difference to their outcome. Yeah. Um, but, but women like to do their own research, you know, and so it's important, you know, to try and get the best scientific advice regarding these add-ons before you make a decision.
0: Yeah, yeah. Read from trusted sources. And Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. And talk to me about um, whether it hurts. That's something that comes up again and again. Um, And I think, you know, certainly in this podcast series, the women we've spoken to have only ever said that it doesn't hurt. But is there any kind of scenarios where people might feel pain?
2: So it's a very... um difficult thing to define what hurt is because Mm -hmm. some women come to us and they find even the transvaginal scan very painful some women who have come to us have found smear tests very painful and so you know there may be people who have these um, issues beforehand and you know women with bad endometriosis can have painful smears or painful scans and so that part of the procedure may be you know difficult for them as an individual and we have ways of making that easier using smaller vaginal probes or if we we use the speculum like a smear test to do an embryo transfer. So we can give sedation for an embryo transfer if someone anticipates that it will be sore. Okay. The egg collection itself, amazingly, is not that bad, you know, um, because we are. That's the bit where we are putting the needle in. Mm. but We give quite good sedation with pethidine and hypnoval. And, you know, 99 percent of women do not feel a thing. And, you know, that's only using half the amount of drugs we have sitting on the trolley beside us. So if women do begin to feel things during the procedure, then, you know, we can give extra drugs. And so, as you said, the majority of women have no problem whatsoever.
0: Until so you're awake, but you're you're nice and kind of nice
2: and woozy. Glass. Yeah, pretty woozy. Yeah. Some people do actually fall asleep, you know, because oh, lovely. You know, it depends <laughs> on your tolerance to drugs, and yeah. most of our women are really good and haven't drunk alcohol for three months or so before the egg collection, so they yeah. are more sensitive to our drugs.
0: Of course, of course, yeah. I, I've had pede myself when having my first boy, and um, that can certainly have quite a yeah. It's
2: like and and a we drink. give it straight into the vein.
0: Okay. because
2: um, we're not worried about having any effect on a pregnancy. We're just giving yeah. it straight. So it, it works very effectively, very quickly.
0: OK, lovely. And, and that's great to know that there's is a fallback. If you do start to feel uncomfortable, you can have extra. Can... Oh, we
2: always have extra on hand. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um,
0: and tell me again, the, the same question that always comes up is age. Is there, and I know there isn't, an ideal age to do IVF? Or what kind of age bracket might you be looking at um, that you would ideally fall into.
2: So there's there's several different factors when it comes to IVF success rates. Mm-hmm. Um, one, the most important one is age, and then the second one is is ovarian reserve. Yeah. Um, and you know it's very hard to say what the ideal age is because I have to treat the women sitting in front of me, whatever age they may be. Yeah. In in my ideal world, I would be treating everybody at less than thirty five. And, you know, that's what they would recommend is that if you're planning three t- children, you have your family completed by 35. Yeah. But that's not the reality of the world that we're in at the moment. Women are leaving pregnancy later in life. Mm-hmm. And so if you just look at IVF success rates, not everybody needs IVF, of course. But if you look at IVF success rates when you're um 35, they're in the order of 50% per cycle, but when you're 42, they're in the order of 10 to 15% per cycle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 42 is not an ideal age to be expecting IVF to work. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see women 35 or younger, but, you know, that's not the reality. We were just looking at our figures last night. The average age of the patient attending us is 38 at the moment, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's, it's getting higher year by year.
0: Yeah. And again, actually, earlier in the podcast, we were talking to our guest about how the the only growing age group in terms of pregnancy rates is women in their 40s. Yeah. uh, And
2: you have to remember that not everybody you see who's in their 40s who is pregnant has done IVF. They may have done egg donation treatments um, because, you know, in reality, IVF doesn't work particularly over the age of 43, we have the occasional 44-year-old pregnant, very few 45s. So when you see women older than that, one has to be aware that egg donation is a possibility. And it's a good treatment option, but it's not everybody's choice. But you have to have a reality check when you're looking at women around you having babies, um, you know, so that you're aware that maybe their story is is a different story to, to what you imagine.
0: Yeah, and egg donation is not something I think that anybody would even think of um it's, well, not- it,
2: it, it's nobody's plan a yes. but you know to create a family and to have a family when it's something that you know from the age of 18 you've not always thought you absolutely. will do yes. it's, it's a fabulous solution it's to, really to that situation available.
0: yeah absolutely and so would that be your advice to women you know to to you know Ideally, there's an age bracket that they fall into, but to get in as soon as possible, to get their tests, to be prepared for whatever.
2: Um. Yeah, so I, I think it's really important to know where yeah. you are. Um, and, you know, I have women who come to me before they're planning to get pregnant or before they're getting married, just to know what their egg reserve is, you mm-hmm. know, because what you don't want to do is to look back and have been in a relationship for 10 years. You know, because if you meet someone when you're 25 and then start trying when you're 35 and then can't get pregnant, you know, you'll be looking back saying, God, we could have done it any time in those past however many years. Um, And, and, you know, we're very good at having regrets and beating ourselves up over something that we can't change. So it's it's very important just to know what your figures are. And then that helps you with your decision making process.
0: Wouldn't it be wonderful? I I know uh, from doing this podcast as a group of 20 year olds, I know. Um, and they've all on listening to this gone off and all looked into getting their eggs frozen or looking into yeah. just even going in and figuring out what their ovarian reserves are and what kind of a yeah. position they're in wouldn't that be wonderful if women in their yeah. 20s that was just a standard thing that they went in and just got checked out, see how they're doing, just so they have the information and they're prepared and they're empowered to make their own yeah, choices.
2: Exactly. I, I think, you know, information is power. I'm not sure I would recommend every 25 year old in the country freezing her eggs. No, 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 think, no. And
0: I don't no. mean that, but even to go in and get tested. <laughs> yes,
2: absolutely. I do, because you, know, you do have the occasional 25 year old who has very reduced ovarian reserve which means that when she's 35, she may be at risk of an early menopause. And so it it gives you a backup plan if that's important to you.
0: Yeah. And also, it's not all about just having children as well, like just to to know, you know, about your cycle and to know you know, like if you're in danger of going into early menopause or yeah. you know, to educate yourself again. Yeah,
2: and it's, it's also a screening. I mean, because most of us as fertility consultants are fully trained gynecologists. So we're able to, when we look at the ovaries, we are ruling out an ovarian cancer that you may not have known that you had. We are looking to see if you have fibroids. You know, we can look for features of endometriosis. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we are giving a full gynecological check at the same time as a fertility
0: checkup because mm. i think that's just it's really important just to to, to understand your body to know where you yes, are
2: absolutely
0: yeah. yeah and to get yourself looked at um and and do you have any other advice specifically on the IVF road i suppose for couples who might be thinking about starting along that path um you know anything that you'd tell them to look out for to to be aware of or is it just a question of if it's something you want to do just Start.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I think I have never met anybody coming to me who I've not said try and get pregnant straight away, because I really don't believe in delaying. If you're in the right relationship with the right partner or if you're at a time in your life when you want a pregnancy, then now is the time to do it. But it is important to look at lifestyle issues as well, because, you know, it is important to stop smoking and to look at your diet and to to be as healthy as you can. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's never too early to look at those type of things um, Mm -hmm. to try and improve your long term health as well as improving you know, the the chances of natural conception.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Our guest today, Dee, um, spent a good few months doing that, uh, taking supplements and kind of changing. I mean, they both had very healthy lifestyles, her and her partner anyway, but changing their lifestyles a little bit. And she said, actually, she felt like that was kind of wasted time, but she could have been starting off on the IVF journey, um, but she did say as well, like you're, it's never a bad idea to improve your lifestyle and to kind of look after yourself a bit better, especially when you're going into something like an IVF journey. Yeah,
2: I mean, I think the difficulty is that the people who are most likely to do the lifestyle things are women who don't actually need to, you know, because as you say, they're the very healthy people already. And so if, if they are in that group, then it is a waste of time. It's the the people who who aren't in that group, you know, because you do see couples coming in who are still smoking or who don't cook their own meals and aren't eating fruit and vegetables. Those are the people who could be helped by that advice yeah. even before they come to us. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a it's it's a spectrum as you would expect, you know. Yeah. Um, and but I, I think the most compliant people with the lifestyle advice are the people who don't need it, as you say. Yeah,
0: yeah, you can imagine all that, that the healthy gurus <laughs> yeah,
2: no, well you, uh, I actually believe you don't want to be too healthy you know um, in this you know you don't want to cut out all sugar and you don't want to become skinny thin and you don't want to over exercise so you can take it too far as well mm, everything in moderation in moderation right. yeah
0: a little bit of what of what you love is good for you too yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think we're going to have to leave it there for today Ethan, but thank you so much for all of that and um, nice to talk to you really really great wisdom there So, I'm going to leave it there for today. So, thank you so much to Dee for sharing her story with us, and thank you to Ethna for the advice. Um, And thank you, of course, to our partners, Waterstone Clinic.